0: Well, I am fighting a cold today, so please bear with me. Um, could we stand in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible, First Kings 18, we're going to do 18 to 24. Uh, otherwise, we have the words up on the screen, and I'm going to read from, from here. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, this has been the age-old problem of your people, standing between two opinions. Send your fire today. Make us one heart with you and one heart with each other. Please hide me behind the cross, behind this cold. Help us not be distracted so that we can hear what you're saying to each heart and to this church. Please, God, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So to bring you up to date, we're going through the story all the way through the Bible in 31 weeks, and last week we talked about when the kingdom divided, that that the first king of Israel was Saul, and the second king was David, and then the third king was Solomon. But Solomon, he was divided in his heart, and he got into idolatrous worship, and God's judgment was that the kingdom would be divided with his son. And so his son was Rehoboam, and during his time, ten tribes were given to Jeroboam, and he went north, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, went south, and this is where the Bible becomes very confusing, because up till this point, it's all, it's all been known as Israel. But now, the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, go by the name Israel, and the capital is Samaria. Samaria. And they have two centers of worship, idolatrous worship, one in Bethel, one in Dan. They've set up golden calves, Jeroboam has, to try to keep the people from going over to Jerusalem and going back to the other kingdom. He has set up his own worship system. So there's, a, there's an altar in uh, Bethel. There's an, uh, there's an altar in Dan. And this is the northern kingdom, Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Even though there's two tribes, it's Judah and Benjamin, but Judah is much larger than Benjamin. So it goes by Judah, and then they start being called Jews instead of Israelites because of Judah. So today's message is called God's Messengers. Point one is who are God's messengers? And at this time in Israel's history, God's messengers, were the prophets. Today, I want to talk about the northern kingdom called Israel. God sent nine prophets to them. The whole of the northern kingdom, it lasted in 930 B.C., the kingdom split. It lasted for 208 years. In 722 B.C., the, the ten tribes, they're, called, they're known as the ten lost tribes of Israel because they went into captivity never to return. During those 208 years, there were 19 kings, but there were nine Prophets. Where God was bringing the word, his word, his message to the people of Israel to try to bring them back to himself. I want to look at some of those messengers. The first one, he is, he's unnamed. He's just called the man of God. And he comes right after Jeroboam, sets up these two false altars with the golden calves on, in the north and the south. And he comes and he gives the word of the Lord to Jeroboam. And he says, if you don't r- remove these altars, God is going to raise up a king in the future that is going to destroy these altars and burn the priests you've appointed on these very altars. And here is Jeroboam's response in 1 Kings 13. It says, when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, He stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart, and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God, by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me. So that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. But this is this is just stunning mercy from God. This is Jeroboam. Jeroboam, is the, he's nobody, he's got no ancestry, he came out of nowhere. God anoints him by the prophet Ahijah and says listen if you'll obey me if you'll follow my commands I will make you as great as David I'll make your kingdom, your family line as great as David's these extravagant promises and then supernaturally he is given ten tribes and then he rebels against God because of his own fear that he's going to lose his people he builds these false altars but it's not over then God sends this prophet. He says, listen, these altars are false. Get rid of these altars. And instead of softening his heart, he hardens his heart, and he says, what we're going to do, we're going to get rid of the prophet. I don't want to hear this. I'm going to do my own thing. We're gonna... And he reaches out his hand, and it shrivels up as he reaches it out. Do you see that this is the mercy of God? God. And the king says to the man of God, pray for me. Pray for this arm. And of course, the man of God is thinking, he's going to repent now. Certainly, he's going to repent. This amazing sign, the altar splits in front of him. His hand shrivels up. This is the mercy and grace of God. This is a fresh start. He prays for the arm, and supernaturally, God restores it. And Jeroboam goes right on in his sin, right on in his idolatry. His son gets sick to the point of death, and him and his wife are just terrified, so he sends his wife, Mrs. Jeroboam. That's what she went by. He sends Mrs. Jeroboam to Ahijah, who is the guy that anointed him first to find out what's going to happen with his son. But he tells her, you know, don't let him know that you're my wife. So dress up as somebody else and go to Ahijah and find out what's going to happen to the king's son. So he goes to the prophet's door. Now, it's funny that she dressed up because Ahijah at this point is blind. Not only is he blind, but he also sees in the spirit. So she knocks on the door, and God's already spoken to him. He comes to the door, and and he says, Mrs. Jeroboam, why this pretense? I've got bad news for you. And he says it. I I have got bad news for you. The son, uh, when you return, that son will die. But that's only the beginning of the bad news. What's going to happen with your husband's family is horrific. God has ordained that he's going to completely wipe your family out. In fact, nobody's even going to be buried. Those that die in the city are going to be eaten by dogs. Those that die in the country are going to be eaten by birds. The only one that will be buried is this son that's about to die. That's the only one that God has found some good in. The severity of God. The mercy, Paul said, Behold, both the kindness and the severity of God. Don't make a God of your own image, guys. He is God, He is kind and merciful and gracious. But to spurn his word, to continually turn our backs on him, is setting us up for severity. God raises up another prophet named Elijah. This is later now. The king at the time is a man named Ahab. And Elijah, it's amazing how many chapters are given to Elijah and his Uh, the guy following him is named Elisha. And there's so many chapters. These are very colorful uh, guys and how God uses them and amazing. But Elijah um, prays that it will not rain. And it doesn't rain for three years. Israel is in idolatry. Israel is not leaving its idolatry. Israel is happy in its idolatry. Well, in a farming community, how many know rain is really important? And so he's praying, God, get their attention. Touch their livelihood. Three rain, three years, there's no rain. In the meantime, he's, be, he's fed by ravens at the Cherith brook. And when the brook dries up, God says, go to the widow at Zarephath. And miraculously, God provides for Elijah and this widow. And, but after the three years, God says, it's time. Now go face Ahab. And so he goes and he faces Ahab. And our text today is what he says to him. God wants there to be a showdown. Get your prophets a Baal. Get your prophets of Asherah, and we're gonna have two bulls. And you guys even get to choose first. You guys get to choose which bull you want. But here but here's the rules. You make your altar, and then I'll make my altar, and you you sacrifice the bull, but here's the rules. You can't set fire to it. I don't want to see any fire-making gizmos in in, in your Grass because we're going to, and, and I won't have any either. And so the prophets of Baal come, and, and Asherah, and there's 850 of them, and they they choose their bull, and, and they get it going, and they start in the morning, and uh, nothing's happened by noon, and so they start cutting themselves, and they're crying out to Baal. They're crying out to Asherah, send fire, send fire, send fire, and Uh, uh, nothing's happening. Elijah actually kind of mocks them at this point. It comes all the way to the time of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah steps up to the plate. In chapter 18, verse 17, he says, dear God, turn the heart of this people back to you by sending fire. And fire comes out of heaven and consumes the sacrifice and the water. He has put, he's had them pour water on it three times. And uh, the, the fire consumes it, and there's this tremendous showdown, and the people all say, the Lord, he is God. <clears throat> so he's got this servant, Elisha. And Elisha follows him everywhere, and it gets near the end of Elijah's ministry and Elisha knows that Elijah's going to be taken and so he's just following him everywhere he will not leave let him go out of his sight and finally Elijah turns to Elisha and said what 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 do you want and he said here's what I want I want a double portion of your spirit and Elijah had a lot of miracles and everywhere he went miraculous things happened and Elijah says you you you've asked for something difficult However, if you see me when I go, you will get a double portion. And so he, uh, not long after this, uh, Elijah is taken. The chariots of God come directly from heaven. He's translated directly into heaven. He ascends into heaven. And uh, here's what it says in 2 Kings 2, 13 and 14. Um, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. God's messengers. There were nine messengers to the northern kingdom. I've just mentioned three of them. So here's my question. Who are God's messengers today? Back then, there were these special prophets that were anointed. They were given the message and they were to speak that message. Well, it turns out that the whole Elijah-Elisha thing is a type and shadow. It really happened in history, but it also foreshadows something. Elijah is a type of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, Jesus gathers his disciples around him, and he says this. He's already risen from the dead, but he says, "I'm I'm about to ascend to heaven. But when I go up, the mantle that was on me is coming down. You guys go wait. You're going you're to see me go up. You go wait because my mantle is going to come back down and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He said in John 12, the the works that I do, you're going to do also, and greater works than these will you do. I am sending my Holy Spirit, the very mantle that was on me. I have modeled for you the types of works that are going to be done, but your works are going to, the the, the Holy Spirit's going to come with such power that your ministry is going to go beyond what mine did when I was on this earth. And so he ascends. In verse nine, they see him ascend, just like Elisha saw Elijah go up to heaven. And they wait for 10 days. And and just, just not, it's next Sunday, it's Pentecost Sunday. When the day of Pentecost fully came, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they saw tongues of fire come There were 120 of them gathered, and it was a funny thing about this fire because it separated and it came on all 120. This is very different. The fire in the Old Testament would come on that prophet. But the fire didn't just come on Peter, the head, the the guy that Jesus put in charge, and the fire didn't come to the 12, the 12 apostles. It came to all 120, and they began speaking in tongues, and and the the people around, because it's a Jewish holiday, said, what's going on here? And Peter stands up, and he says, here's what's going on. God says, in the last days, I'm changing things up. I'm changing covenants. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your men and on your women, on your sons and on your daughters, and they are going to prophesy. I'm not going to have just a few people speaking for me. I'm raising up a host of prof- prophetic people. That fire is going to burn, not just in one. It's going to burn. It's going to be the mark of the whole church. And sons and daughters and men and women are going to be the ones that bring my message. And the whole idea of the prophetic is it's not just that we have this, uh, we're God's answer man and we know a bunch of stuff about God. No, they're going to walk with me And I'm going to set up prophetic appointments and they're going to speak my word to people just when they need it. So we are in, uh, a few weeks ago, we were in Houston, Texas because my uh, my oldest child and only son, Matt, got married down in Houston. And so we were down there and we came in on Wednesday night, our plane got delayed, and so we ended up getting to this hotel at 2 a.m., and this really nice night manager helped us get into our room, and we get into our room, and the smoke alarm battery isn't working, so it's chirping, and you know, we're like, can, can, we, can we endure this all night? No. There's just absolutely no. So I go back down to the night manager, and he says, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll get another room for you. So we get her stuff out of that room. We get over to another room, and, and that's Wednesday night. And next night, I wake up at 4 in the morning. Got a hotel room full of family. It's 4 a.m., and I mean, I am absolutely wide awake. There's no, there's no reason to be this awake at 4 a.m., especially when you got no sleep the night before. But there's nothing to do. I can't, I, can't, I don't want to wake up anybody in the room, so I, I get my quiet time stuff, and I head down to the little dining area, and of course, it's, it's, it's the night watch, so it's all black except they got one light, and so I move toward this table, and... Praise God, that coffee machine was working still. <laughs> I got my cup of coffee, and I'm, I'm sitting down to have my quiet time. Well, the night manager from the night, from the night that we came in, really nice guy. He comes over, and with very little prompting, he starts telling his story. He's 35 years old, handsome African-American guy, and he says, uh... He says, I'm in a new beginning. I said, tell me about it. He said, he, said, uh, he said, I'm going back to He said, I got a second job so I can go back to school. And uh, my girlfriend and I have gone through a lot, but I'm, I'm trying to get my life together to get back with her. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going after a new beginning. And he's got his name tag. His, his name is Lawrence. And I say, Lawrence you're never going to get a new beginning without Jesus. Jesus, G, any effort you have, Jesus is wants to give us a new beginning. And this, this did not put him off at all. He wanted to hear more. And so we talked about, I took him through the, the questions. You know, did he know whether he was going to heaven? No, he didn't think so. Why did he think he was and, you know, or, or didn't? And, and I take him through the whole gospel and and uh it, it and Not only is he not put off, he, as I start sharing Jesus, he pulls up the chair. He sits right across from me, and and I'm giving him the whole thing. And um, at at the end of the bridge illustration, there's three people, and one is this guy that's saying, bah, I don't want anything to do with God. And I said, you know, this is one type of person in the world. They're going their own way, doing their own thing. They don't want God. And then there's this other person over here saying glory that, that they're not a perfect person, but they're right with God and they, they're trusting Jesus Christ and, and that's that person. And the third person in the world is this one right at the door. And I said, Lawrence, if you had to say which one of these three you are, which one would you say you are? He said, well, I'm, I'm, the, one, I'm, I'm the one right at the door. I'm gonna tell you what happened with Lawrence later in this message. Just just touch the pause button right now. We're going to move on to point two. What is God's message? I'm going to cough, so just get ready for this. <clears throat> okay, that's over. First, we must make a decision to follow God. I always wondered why why Elijah is like John the Baptist, or John the Baptist is like Elijah, because it says the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist, yet their ministries could not have been more different. Elijah was known for all of his miracles. John the Baptist had no miracles. So why is it the same spirit? Why why are they alike? And here's here's why. Both of them were used by God to bring people to a point where a choice had to be made. So here's what happens. Thanks, brother. Here's what happens with Elijah. He says, you guys are standing between two opinions. What are the two opinions? One, they love God. They love God and they they follow God and they want to follow God and But they've got a second opinion and that's about Baal and Asherah and and this is Ahab and Jezebel's thing. And so to kind of get along in society, you you kind of have to also worship Baal. And so they're they're not all in for God. They're not all in for Baal. They're they're in between. They're in between opinions. And, And what he says is, you have to make a choice. To not make a choice in God's sight is a no. It's very hard for us to grasp that. We think if we haven't said no to God, we've said yes. That is not true. Not saying yes to God in his mind is no. And so he says you have to make choice. And what we see with Elijah is this unbelievable confidence. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And these guys are making their sacrifice, and, and they're working their hardest. And, he, and Elijah's like, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe your God, I don't know where your God is, but he's clearly not here. I mean, why is he trash-talking them? Why isn't he praying? Why isn't he saying, God, please, when I pray, God, please come? Because Elijah is absolutely convinced this has nothing to do with him. He's not asking the people to make a choice. God is. God's asked him to do this. God, let them know that you're turning your hearts, their hearts back to you. So send fire, and he prays that little prayer, and fire comes down from heaven, and it not only gets the sacrifice, but the water that He had had poured over it. Here's, here's Luke 7:30. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. God sent John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah to give Israel, to give the Jewish nation an opportunity to choose him. But it's very sobering because it wasn't John confronting the people. It was God. John said, I'm just a voice of the one crying in the wilderness. I'm not the one crying in the wilderness. The one crying in the wilderness is God. I'm just supplying a voice. To say no is to say no to God. God is opening up an opportunity for you to repent. And when the Pharisees said no to that, something horrible happened to them. And the same thing happens to us today. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, it says this Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion in the wilderness see every time god speaks and i'm not talking about man trying to get you to do stuff or your wife trying to get you to do stuff i'm not or the pastor in his own frustration trying to get you to do stuff no no this isn't any about any person this is when god reveals himself to you and he speaks Every time God speaks, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't say it's just a person. Don't say it's, don't make excuses for yourself. Don't try to say it's not God. When God speaks, that's his mercy towards you. And it's time to humble yourself. So, I had this message all done on Wednesday, and I'm coming in. I wake up Thursday morning, and I feel like this, this verse is on my mind. That, 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 that this is part of the message. Today, if you hear his voice, John Hart. So, I get to church, and I'm going to add that to the message. I'm going to add this verse that we need to respond. And uh, Len Lindsay is waiting to meet with me, and I say, Len. Just a second, I just just have one thing I have to do. So I open up my message, I add this verse. Today, if you hear his his voice, do not harden your heart. Um, Save it, and then I go to Len. Len, come on in, and he says, he said, I got two things to talk about, but before I do, I want to tell you something, I want to show you something that God told me in 2008. And so he's got it written out. And here's what he shows me, this line, and it says this. We don't need to fear loss of memory as God speaks to our hearts. Instead, fear the hardening of our hearts. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says this. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart into trouble. What, what? What? Why? Here's why. God wants us to change when He speaks to us. When we don't listen, when we harden our heart, the way He speaks to us again, we're not listening to His voice. He has to bring trouble. He has to allow trouble in our life because we're not listening to His voice. God always wants to take the kindest possible path to our change, but he loves us so much that he will take any path that he has to. What is God's message? Secondly, God's love demands a response or it will ultimately end up in judgment. So here we are, this is the ninth prophet now a man named Hosea. And God speaks to him and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. Poor Hosea. I mean, seriously, this guy has saved himself. He just can't wait to see who God's got for him, you know? And he's, he's just walking holy before God, and he's got the desire of his own heart, and he can't wait to see who God, and God says, I've got somebody for you. It's a prostitute. I want you to go marry a prostitute. And so he marries this woman named Gomer, who who is a prostitute. And she says yes. And they're married, and it's going good. But that prostitution is in her. And so after a while, she actually leaves him and goes back to her prostitution. And now we find out why God had him marry Gomer in the first place. Listen to this. This is Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So he goes and knocks on her door. She opens, thinking it's a client, and it's her husband. And he's not there to punish her. He's there to bring her back home. And God said, this is how I feel about my people. This is how I feel about Israel. This is, this is what's churning inside of me. Hosea, you're getting an idea, the, 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 the tugging in your heart. You, you love her, but she's been unfaithful, and, and, and you want to you wanna distance yourself and harden yourself, but, but you also want to go back, and this is how I feel about Israel. Listen to Hosea chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. How can I treat you like Adma, like an enemy? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities." What's going on here? We're getting a window here, folks, on the emotions of God. Most of us think God is unworthy of these emotions. That God is very at peace with himself and that God is kind of calculated and cold and if you follow him, you're going to be blessed and if you don't, you're going to be cursed and, and that's not how it is. And we get a picture of his emotions. Ephraim was the largest tribe in the north. Oftentimes the whole north was called Ephraim. Ephraim had, he was the son of Joseph. The greatest blessings that Jacob gave, he, before Jacob died, he had 12 blessings over each of his sons. The greatest blessings were on Joseph. And Joseph's blessing went to Ephraim. And, and so Ephraim has got all these promises over him. And God says, listen, it's over. You're going you're to go back to Egypt. Assyria is going to come, going to wipe you out. It's over. You've rebelled. You've said no. You've said no. You've said no. Now it is too late. It's over. And then God stops himself and says, no, no. I can't let go of you that easy. No, I am I am God and not man. Men love justice for other people. That's why everybody likes to watch crime shows. We love to see somebody get what's coming to them when it's not us. We love justice. God says that he loves mercy. And so he's like, I have a right to do this. I should do this. Justice requires to do this. But no, I'm giving you another chance. I I will still bless you. If you repent now, I will bless you. I will have compassion on you. I will not bring the judgment. I will break all of the rules for you. This is how much I love you. How many have seen the show Who Wants to be a Millionaire? Could you raise your hand? Okay, I'm in the right group. It it started out, it was a huge thing. Regis Philbin was the the guy who wants to be a millionaire, and there were these questions, and and then there was uh, who wants to be a millionaire, India, slumdog millionaires about who wants to be a millionaire in India and became famous, and then they showed it like eight times a week and everybody stopped watching. Anyway, um, but when it started out, it was just really exciting because Regis would, it, 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 you would have these escalating questions to, to get to a million dollars, and you had four choices, and, but it was all or nothing. And so he would, he would say, what, what is your answer? And if you, you gave him which one it was, and then he would always ask this question, is that your answer? Final answer. You always got one last chance to change. And the higher it got, the longer that pause was. Is that your final answer? Because it's all or nothing. You go home with absolutely nothing, or you could go home with a million dollars. So I want, to, I want you to think about this. So let's say... It's who wants to be a million, and it's all the way up to a million dollars. And they've cho- they've cho- you've chosen to go for the million dollars. I want all or nothing. And you answer A. And Regis says to you, is that your final answer? And you say, yes, that's my final answer. And what if Regis, at that point, said, listen, I really, really want you to win the million dollars. A is wrong. The correct answer is D. I'm going to ask you one more time. <laughs> is A your final answer? And you would say, that's, that's not how the game goes. That's, that would be unjust. This is exactly what God is doing here in this passage. They've already given their final answer, which is no, we're gonna serve ourselves, we're gonna serve the Baals, we're gonna go our own way, we're gonna have our own religion, and God has said, is that your final answer? They said, yes, that's your final answer, and God says, then justice is gonna come, and he says, no! I am God, not man, I love mercy! Listen! You've got the wrong answer, and I want you to win the million dollars. I want you to have a good life. I want you to have good eternal life. You answered wrong, but I'm going to give you one more chance. Is this your final answer? And you know what? It was their final answer. And then something unthinkable happened this is the mo- one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. It's Proverbs twenty nine, verse one, and it says this: Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed, without remedy. God comes and speaks, asks for a decision. You say no, or you just say not yet, not now. You pause. And so then God speaks louder. He uses circumstances. He uses things in your life to get your attention, to speak to you again. He brings you to the point of decision again, and you say no again. Well, that's okay. God's unrelenting love keeps coming after you, and God arranges things again, brings you to another point. And at some point, and we no man can tell you when this point is. You're certainly not at this point, or you won't be here today. But at some point... God says, is that your final answer? And then you become hardened beyond remedy. There's, there, you're, you're lost at that point. You know what? We don't know what happened with Hosea and Gomer. They might have lived happily ever after. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know what happened with the northern kingdom. They were removed forever before God. So, let's talk about, last point, the upper story today. First, let's finish with Lawrence. So, Lawrence is sitting across from me. He says, yeah, I'm the one at the door. And I said, Lawrence, um, God woke me up at 4 a.m. just to be with you right now. Here is the prayer to pray. I prayed this prayer to get a new beginning. This is how you do it. And I, I'm here to lead you in this prayer. He said, I, I don't think I'm ready. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I have to clean myself up before I'd be ready for God. I said, bro, I said, do you, do you wash in the sink before you take a shower? <laughs> and he smiled. And I said, this is how you clean up. Jesus is the Savior. You don't, no one cleans himself up for God. He said, I'm, I'm, just, I just, I'm so glad that you shared this. This is so important to me. He said, I just, I just don't know if I'm ready to pray. And I said, Lawrence, when are you gonna be more ready than right now? God is speaking to you right now. When are you gonna be more ready than this? He said, I'll tell you what, I want you to write down the prayer. I said, all right, I'll write, I'll write the prayer. So I wrote the prayer down. I prayed for him, I shook his hand, and the lights went on because the lady was there to make breakfast in the morning. And God sovereignly reached out to this young man. My sister Katie came down. I told her what happened. And she said, Tommy, I got one more than a carpenter from, from Josh McDowell that I, I brought along that's supposed to go somewhere. And she said, I'm going to go get it right now. So she gets it, and I give it to Lawrence. And he's so grateful. And but I don't know. I don't know what happened with Lawrence. I don't know if he went on to pray that prayer or not. I don't know if he said yes to God or not. What I know for sure is that I, this was not between me and Lawrence. God woke me up. God was speaking to Lawrence. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ... The, you're, the fact that you're here today, this, is not, this isn't between me and you. This is you and Jesus. And at the end of our service, if you want to respond to God, you want to be forgiven, you want to follow Jesus, you want to... The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. Um, if Jesus is knocking today... And you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to stop being between two opinions and make up your mind. I'm going to invite you at the end of this service to come up and sign up to get water baptized. We're going to do a water baptism on August 6th. We usually do a show of hands, and that, there's nothing wrong with that, except that they, really, they never did a show of hands in the New Testament. If you wanted to give your life to Christ, then you got baptized. And um, I... And so if, you, if, you, if that's you, you want to do business with God, you want to say yes, uh, you come up and sign up. There's, there's two sign-ups for water baptism we're going to have on August 6th. Here's our second group. This is the group that said yes to God just like Gomer said yes to Hosea's proposal. God, I'm in. God, I will follow you. And you meant it. But time has gone past. And just like Gomer went back to her prostitution, you've gone back to having two opinions. You haven't left Jesus. You just have a second opinion And so you said yes to Jesus, and you said yes to sleeping with your boyfriend. Yes to Jesus, and yes to your addiction. Yes to Jesus, and yes to whatever idol it is that consumes your life. And Jesus comes knocking. Here's Revelation 3 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is the church. These are people that said yes to Jesus, and they were hot at one time, but they become lukewarm. Lukewarm. And Jesus says, you, you used to need me. You used to recognize your need for me, but you become proud in your heart and say, I don't really need you every day. I've got just as much as I want, and you're doing your own thing. And just like Hosea was sent to knock on Gomer's door, this is where we have the verse in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus is knocking on the door. It's actually not the non-Christian. He's, he does knock on non-Christians too, but this is him knocking on a Christian's door. And said, you, you, you said yes, but you've gone back to idolatry. You've gone back to immorality or prostitution of some sort. You are, you are in bed with the world, even though you said yes to me. And, and, the, and the proof of it is the fire's gone. Here's what James says. Chapter 4, 4 through 8, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here's what's going on. God can't turn his love down for you. What happens is we get saved, we love Jesus, but then we kind of settle for this Christianity that's kind of half in and half in the world, and, and we're like, this is good enough for me. But the problem is he can't turn himself down. It's not good enough for him. It's not good enough that you're kind of in, that you're part in, that you're in once a week, that you're in a couple days a week, that you're in once in a while, that that's not good enough. He's got a burning heart. He's calling us out of double-mindedness. Friendship with the world. What is the world? J- John says it's the love of the flesh, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Where we're in charge, we're doing our own thing, we're going to enjoy whatever we want to enjoy, and even if it's illegal. And Jesus says, or well, James says, I've got grace. The spirit in you is jealously desiring you. He won't let you live that way. He's just, come on, come on. There's more grace. There's more grace for whatever you think you can't get out of. There is more grace for it. Submit yourself to God. He will pour grace out on you. He will make you what he wants you to be. He will, Jesus said, I've got fire. He said to to the church at Laodicea. And I will refine you as gold. What The way gold is refined is it's purified. It, it becomes, when it becomes mixed, gold becomes uh, two things. And so you burn it, and then you, you get rid of all of the extra stuff until it's pure again, until it's single-minded, burning again. So some of us, I'm not in, I don't have the right to be in your face. John didn't have the right to be in their face. Jesus was in their face. Some of us are committing adultery with the world. And then in Revelations 2, some were, were committing adultery with religion. This church at Ephesus, and, and he says, you guys are working hard, you got all the right beliefs, um, but I am about to remove your lampstand from its place. Because you have left your first love. You've got your own rules, you've got your own beliefs, and you're very content in it, but your heart isn't burning for me anymore. I miss you, I miss your love, I miss that first love, I miss your excitement. You've lowered this thing to a bunch of rules that you keep and a bunch of beliefs that you have. And I, I miss you. Somebody, I told the story last week of the guy that was under some type of a religious thing, and he said it was like there was an umbrella over me. And you could preach, 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 but I was not going to change. And then one day God spoke to him, and he said, I'm all in. And he said, the umbrella changed to a funnel. He said, and ever since then I've been on fire. And so, God, God is calling us out of worldliness, He's calling us out of religion. He's calling us into his burning heart. It's his kindness that calls us, that speaks to us. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Could we stand together? I'm going to ask us to make a response today. Individually and corporately. You say, Pastor Tom, what do you mean by a corporate response? I, I get this. I get why people don't get it. I'm, I'm an American. I'm very individualist. These words to Laodicea and Ephesus about removing the lampstand, about spitting them, those were not given to a person. It was given to a church. It was not a threat of backsliding. It was saying, I'm going to take your influence away. I don't want what you are reproduced. I didn't die for lukewarm, and I didn't die for a bunch of workers. I died for people that are burning in love for me the way I'm burning in love for them. See, there were promises over Jeroboam that were never fulfilled, not because God is not faithful to his promises, but because he was unfaithful to do his part. There, there were promises over Ephraim. Amazing, generous, abundant promises. And they were not fulfilled, not because God is unfaithful, but because Ephraim had gone astray. And folks, Honestly, I've never seen anything like the promises that have come about City Church. There are huge promises over this place. God wants to do something amazing here. But we need to, we need to say yes. We need to say yes as a church. Pastor Tom, how would we do that? I don't know, honestly. I don't know how. But I know That we need to. Like how many of us would have to say yes for it to be yes? I have no idea. I have no idea what it looks like. Here's what I do know. There are promises over City Church that have more to do than us just having a nice, comfortable life. Has to do with God pouring out a spirit and miracles happening and the nations being touched because of what happens here. And I, I, I just, there's fire in his eyes. He's asking for a response today. So here's how we're ending. We're going to turn the lights down and we're going to turn the whole sanctuary into an altar. And I'm going to ask you to do business with God. If you need to get baptized, I want you to come up and um, sign up for water baptism. If you want to come down to the altar, it always helps me to come to the altar because it says movement. It says I'm all in. But you can make an altar where you are. All I'm asking is that we would talk out in the if you need to go I understand that but we're not going to dismiss the service you're dismissed when God tells you you can you can go other than you have to get your children at some point bless you